Welcome to Witch Yes, a podcast for casual conjurings, witches in training, and the girl you wish you were. I'm Alicia Herder. And I wish I was Tara Keck. Because that ass <laughs> is a good one. It's a great ass. <laughs> Built like a Pixar mom. Have you ever seen Tara bend over? I have. <laughs> it's <Ooh>. long. <laughs> it's wide. It's like a semi-truck. It's deep. <laughs> Cavernous. <laughs> On the subway, that's all I see. Everything else is black. (laughs) How does she take up three seats? It's big. It's juicy. It's thanks to Tammy. Thanks, Tams. Sponsored by Tammy Keck. (laughs) The original sponsor, I would say, of the podcast. This is true. Not because she ever gave us money, but because she gave us you. Aw. Aw, thanks, Tam. On today's episode, Rasputin. Ooh, did you hear how like sexual that was? Rasputin. A cold chill fell Ooh. down my back. Witches in the news and a protective poppet spell. Pop it. Pop it. Hello, Poppet. Madam. Madam Poppet? Henry Iggins. <laughs> you have to you have to say Poppet. Poppet. In like a uh not Anne Hathaway. Audrey Hepburn in Pretty Woman accent. Audrey Hepburn wasn't in Pretty Woman. What am I thinking? That was Julia Roberts. No, who okay, what's the other one before that? Before Pretty Woman? Oh, it's not Pretty Woman, it's the one that Audrey Hepburn is in, and she's like Hello, hello, mister. Would you like a flower? <laughs> Are you sure this is Audrey Hepburn? Yes. You're not thinking of like fucking Sweeney Todd or some shit? <laughs> it's not pretty woman. It's... Get ready. My Fair Lady. Oh. I haven't seen that one. The most disappointing. You don't have to. That's it. She's like, oh, I'm a lady. And then she's like, the rain in Spain oh. is something on the plane and then she's like you don't love me and he's like i don't she's like who and then the movie ends this sounds like an amalgamation of like the sound of music and sweeney todd no i mean pretty close my fair lady Ta-da. <laughs> mama baby how are you i'm doing well how are you cutie i'm good I'm how you doing it's autumn it is. Look at the last time we were like, the trees aren't changing, but they are trying. They are trying. There's little hints of mm-hmm. like red on that one, mm-hmm. but it's still full leaves. It is. Uh, do you have any autumnal plans? Maybon's over, so we can't eat apples anymore. That's no, but done. I did get apple pie. <gasps> it was very good. Oh. A Dutch apple pie mm-hmm. from the local grocery store. Delicious. I felt like I celebrated. It was so much fun. Cute. You know, it's just... It's how am I going to cram all these like pumpkin patch hayrides, scary corn maze tours into one month? Yeah. Right now I'm like looking at the calendar and just trying to figure <laughs> out like what could fit where, like how does the jigsaw pieces of the calendar all like fit together? Exactly. To have ample time between two. And then I'm supposed to watch movies on top of it? Like what? Girl, that's a lot of work. It is. It's so much media. It's also like kind of two dueling archetypes of like, we're cozy, we're warm, we're sweet, we're cinnamon. And also, we are being dragged down to hell. And I'm so scared. I'm going to piss myself. It's already very chilly here. It is. I wore two coats. 
You did. You had like your little like babushka scarf on. Mm-hmm. I was like, ah, oh, where's the Russian doll? There she is. Let me <laughs> my- get her. Come into my chariot, princess. I can't remember if I said this on the, I think I did said it on the last episode where I was like, Mike, how does it feel knowing that like you're going to have someone whose last name is like longer than your mm-hmm. last name? And because I want to hyphenate. Yeah. And I was like trying to like figure out how to like say Kekbobrinskoy with like a Russian accent to make it seem like it's one full name. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like going through all of these Russian names. I was like, there's got to be kind of like a... Mm, Yeah, you got to start with that. Yeah. Oh. That is very vampire. Right? I really feel that vibe. Yeah. A woman of the night. You are Nosferatu herself. (laughs) Herself. Herself. Alive and well. Not alive. Half dead? Undead? Undead. Undead. Yes. Undead. That's the key. You're never alive. You are only undead. Mm-hmm. What are you gonna do? Any great autumn? Oh, I bought my. Uh, I bought my Halloween costume. Oh, me too. What do you get? What are you gonna be? Well, I don't know. Is it a secret? Are you gonna tell me if I tell you? I already planned on telling you, but I okay, would love for you to tell me. So, Marcel and I. Marcel's in the process of getting his costume. We are going as Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. <gasps> really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. That's gonna be so fun. It's gonna be very cute. Yeah. Yeah. So I got a dressy and then I had to buy like angel wings and like mm-hmm. a cross necklace because bitch, I'm a witch. I don't have a cross necklace. <laughs> <laughs> if I touch this, that's not something I have. I need costume. It can't be silver though because it will burn through your heart mm-hmm. and your body. Yes. Just like the werewolf you are. Indeed. Indeed. Is he going to do the armor? Is he going to do when he's out in the desert with the... He's going to do the armor. Okay. That's what I thought. So the I was like, first meeting. Yes. You're going to be so cold. Oh, Definitely. <laughs> With the armor, though, not at all. Mm-hmm. That's adorable, and I love that. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? I'm going to be a sexy nun. <laughs> a sexy nun. Who are we Who are we nunning after? Like, is there a nun, like, icon? Oh, I think, I was just thinking, like, the classic, the sisters are here. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Sister Mary, Sister Julia, nice. Sister Vivian. Sister- oh, so it's like some, oh, it's not nonsense. Which one is it? The one with Whoopi Goldberg, right? Is that what we're thinking? I'm bad at my 90s films. Marcia, what's the Whoopi Goldberg nun film that you love? Sister Act. Sister Act. I I need to watch that film now so I can get in in the spirit, in the Holy Spirit. In the nun mood, yeah. (laughs) In the Holy Spirit. I feel him in me. Yeah. And then I don't know if Mike, what Mike will do. Yeah, he should be a priest. Well, I told him to be the devil. Oh. But I don't know if he'll do that for me. He has a really great costume that he like kind of like, re uh visits every once in a while which is did you ever watch the muppets movie the live action with i must have uh jason siegel maybe well jason siegel's kind of like ginger adjacent mm-hmm. but he wears like this blue suit and he's got like a little brother who's a muppet and he's uh-huh. like a human and so he has kind of like this muppet and like this big like pale blue suit that sometimes he'll reprise like a uh-huh. i'm jason siegel in the muppets movie every once in a while but i was like that's very cute but you know what would be better straight up kermit <laughs> And you're Miss Piggy. Actually, this is a great this couple's a costume. Great I can't believe I just thought of it now. Like, this is what Marcel and I should have so done. Great. Well, ours will be very cute and charming. But damn, think of how fucking funny that would be. That would be hilarious. I'm stealing. TM, TM, TM. Me next year. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Him. You paint him green. This is. Wait, hold on. Uh-huh. Next year. Next year. We go. We visit you in Los Angeles mm-hmm. for our birthdays. Yes. And it's around your birthday. So we do a Halloween situation. Great rival 
Miss Piggy and Kermit outfits. It's a Miss Piggy and Kermit party. Everybody has to come as different Miss Piggy and Kermits. Ooh, I like it. And there's the Treasure Island one. You know what's a good one along this vein? Tell me. Barbie and Ken. <gasps> Everyone comes as a different Barbie. Oh. Or a different Ken. Yes. I'm there. I'm Skipper. I didn't read the <laughs> I didn't read the invitation. You're just from Gilligan's Island. <laughs> You completely didn't read it or like some dyslexia really got you in that moment. <laughs> I am Eliza Thornberry. <laughs> Mike is the monkey. He's not. Oh my God. I would have been in LA for a few months. So I have the plastic surgery ready to go. Yeah, I yeah. am Barbie. You are Barbie. <laughs> you don't have ribs. I don't have ribs. They're gone. <laughs> I don't need them. Uh, <laughs> I love Halloween so much. It's so much fun. I've been watching a lot of scary movies. Mm-hmm. So I watched Incantation, which is like probably the, I think it was said, the highest grossing Korean horror film in history. Ooh. So I think, here's just a word to the wise. I think that it would have been better subbed. I watched it dubbed because I was mm. like working. Yeah. But I really love the like whole vibe of it. it. It happens in the past and the present where this woman has somehow offended this like ancient Buddhist god. She does so while she's pregnant. Uh-oh. And everybody that offends this god has something bad happen to them. So it's, so it's going like, to be like a Rosemary's Baby. It is very much a Rosemary's Ooh. Baby, but it's like six years in the future where she's given up her child, where she's hoping that like her proximity to it, the further away she is, like the better this child's life will be. Absolutely not. But now then it doesn't come, have a mother. Oh, well, right. But then they come back together and it's like all health how All hell. Yeah. Breaks loose. It's very creepy, like kind of sinister, like culty. Are you excited for the new Hocus Pocus? I am. We've been talking about it for so long. It's so crazy that it like technically it comes out today. Really? Oh, shit. We're recording this on the 30th of September. Yeah, I think it's out today. I know. I'm excited, but I'm like a little nervous because I'm like, it just won't be as good as the original. But can it be like good enough, you know? That's what I'm scared about. I mean, maybe it won't give you the same feeling, but could it? I feel like they've got to have a lot of like nudges to the older generation. Yeah. Oh God, we're the older generation. Well, we're the older generation and that doesn't feel good. <laughs> that feels really bad, actually. <laughs> that kind of hurts. So I don't know. Oh, like the word yabos? No one says that now. Are yabos going to make it into Hocus Pocus 2? I, I mean, if they don't. It's not worth it. I'm not watching it. Yeah. Can... Idiots again light the black candle. I don't know. (laughs) But maybe they will. So I don't know. I'm excited and nervous. I'm excited to see what baby witches think about it, though. Yeah. So definitely hit us up. Talk about it in the Discord. Mm -hmm. Like, let us know what your thoughts are. And let us know what other movies you're watching for the spooky season. Oh, my gosh. We should make, like, a list. (gasps) We make, you know how Barack Obama makes his favorite music (laughs) and books list? make a spooky watching list and people will care as enough as they care about Barack Obama's taste. Of course, of course, of course. <laughs> and then we'll write a book that's really boring that nobody likes. But then our wives will write a book that will be much better. Oh yeah, that everybody likes. That everybody likes and everyone buys. And I think that's the vision. That's the vision board. Oh, we're going to make vision boards. Did I tell you about oh, that? Oh, thank God. Thank God. Let me show you. She very much encapsulates my vision of who I should be in my later years, don't you think? She's like this little old Bob's Burgery lady from the new show Central Park that's coming out. She's holding this possible dog creature. I don't know what it is, but just with like the pink fur-lined coat and everything, the large big hair, and I'm like, that's definitely... That's what we're aging for. That's what we're aiming for, honestly. Yeah, I think that educating ourselves 
on hairspray mm-hmm. to make larger, sturdier hair mm-hmm. is probably the direction that we need to kind of go. Because it's they say the louder you talk, the smarter you sound. Mm-hmm. Taller you are, the more people fear you. And we are that. at a disadvantage. So we have to accentuate our greatest features. Which is our hair. Our brains. Our very large foreheads. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> Just needs to be so extended to the gods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're going to make our hair really tall, but then bleach like this part. So it, it does look like we have a huge forehead. So like Bride of Frankenstein kind of. Oh, yeah. Kind of vibe. In my wedding spreadsheet, it's all Bride of Frankenstein screenshots. <laughs> it's just black lace everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, this is a very fancy funeral where she's inheriting millions. Or is this her wedding? I don't really know. I mean, the vibe is the same. And you should give me just as much money. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Korean weddings only like you're only giving me cash <laughs> like don't give me a gift I want cold hard cash yeah 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 the closer you are to me the more cash I get from you speaking of cash yes speaking of cash baby witches I need some cash can you Venmo me <laughs> T-E-R-A dash K-E-C-K for now get it get it but if you want to give all three of us cash that's Alicia myself and Marcel you can go to our Patreon right now Patreon witches at the $5 level and above are getting two extra episodes a month. Uh, The last episode was on the Owl House, which is really beautiful, like kind of deconstruction of the Owl House via Alicia. It's a great show on Disney Plus. And then next week is Aphrodite. (gasps) Oh. Very sexy. Very sexy. So right now we have a goal for 500 patrons because Alicia and I are trying to get new recording equipment. We have something really big coming up next year where we kind of have to get ready for it. And at the moment we are at 89, which is almost just 11 Patreon witches away from being a fifth of the way there. Fuck yeah. (laughs) I like the math on that. So if we just round up. We're very close. Well, honestly. <laughs> so link in our show notes. Honestly, be a baby witch. Don't be a baby bitch. You're on your phone anyway. <laughs> $5. Babies. Come on. $5. Also, head over to our tea Public to get witchess merch like Satan's Little Snack and Baby Witch shirts, totes, and sweaters because it is 60 degrees outside. It is very, very cold. It's awful. Anyway. Okay. Can next season's slug line be like, don't be a baby bitch. Be a baby witch. Don't be a baby bitch. I love that. I actually love that. Put that on a shirt. Fucking trade. Mark. Done. <laughs> In Helvetica. Satan's little baby bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Okay, Mama. Yes. I have to ask you. Mm-hmm. Tell me how you feel about holy men coming into monarchies and just taking them for a ride. I mean, I love the last part. <laughs> yeah. I love the ride part. Mm-hmm. Holy men nah, doesn't really do it for me. Mm-hmm. Monarchies. Don't really do it for me. Rides. I love a good ride. Trips. I love a good trip. <laughs> Outings. Oh, I love it. I love it. So today we're talking about Rasputin. R- Ras what? Gesundheit. Rasputin, baby. That Rasputin. People also thought he was banging. Mm-hmm. He had so much sex. Good for him. Well, he also had a lot of status in a time where not a lot of people had status. Fair, yeah. So I think that would definitely help. It's like, I think Adam Levine is vile and gross and kind of creepy looking, but people are like, oh my God. Okay, but I did see a Maroon 5 concert once and his ass was very firm. Yeah. I guess if you focus on the ass. If you focus literally in one spot, it's great. It's a good time. It's kind of like how I feel about baseball too. What's the spot? The ass? The ass. Yeah, they, because they, they put the padding. They pad you know, it, yeah. And, and, uh, padding does wonders. Love it. It does great. But yeah. So- are we deciding as a podcast Rasputin, hot or not? 
What are we deciding? Where's our stance? I initially thought he was smelly. I listened to a biography that said several people said that he was very well washed. I anticipated stink, but apparently there wasn't. And uh, I do love a brunette. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let me find a picture of him. I guess I can kind of see it in like his younger, his younger years. But I mean, Anastasia Rasputin. Very scary. Terrifying. <laughs> and it's skin green. Like <laughs> it was a wild time over there. And I, I think maybe he would do a lot better now because the middle part is in. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we gotta do something about that mustache. Yes. And the unblinking eyes. And I think his beard could be fine. It just needs a little like shaping. It does need shaping. It's too mm-hmm. stringy. Yes. Beard oil. A comb. Something. You know, exactly. Something to just help it out. So who is Rasputin? A man. A vision. <laughs> a memory. He was a vision. He is a memory. <laughs> but Grigory Yefimovich Rasputin was born in Pokrovskoy. I hope that's how you say it. It sounds really good to me. A small village outside of Siberia. And guess what? This bitch has two birthdays. Born again and again. By a technicality. Of course, the most mystical man in history has two birthdays. Like, as you all scream at me, how could this be? How could this be, Alicia? I, I figure while we're doing this, people are just like in their cars driving, screaming at the top of their lungs, <laughs> being like, you bimbos, what are you talking? Two birthdays? He's the devil. But I am here to ease your mind and to talk about calendars. Okay. Not calendars. Oh, shit. That's for pasta. <laughs> Those are great. You need everyone needs a calendar, but calendars. In history, Rasputin was born on January 9th, 1869. But the new style dates when Russia's calendar converted from the old Julian calendar to the Gregorian calendar occurred in 1916. Think of Julian calendar as like old Bible calendar and Gregorian is kind of new Bible calendar. <laughs> and we're all in the Gregorian age right now, so we're in the new Bible calendar. Thank you, Pope with too many letters behind his name, <laughs> you know? In the new Russian Gregorian calendar, this makes Rasputin's birthday January 21st, 1869. So January 9th and January 21st are two very different types of January babies. These are like uh, polar opposites, honestly. Exactly. So let's examine each one as we like go along because we don't really know. So is he more of the Aquarian baby or is he the Capricorn baby? Let's find out. I thought you were asking me and I was like, that is a bit I don't I mean, we can make a broad assumption by the end of this episode who we think he is. And so keep in mind, his time of birth is completely unknown because they were just so fucking thankful to have survived childbirth. They're not taking down the time at the local sundial, you know, so it's like we're not going to get hung up on that part. So Rasputin adds the January 9th Capricorn baby. So we have a sun in Capricorn and a moon in Sagittarius. Sounds pretty tricksy so far, okay? His Mercury would be in Capricorn, so hard work at communication. Venus in Sagittarius, which means, you know, he's a flighty lover. Those Sagittarians. We're moving and grooving. We got places to be. Exactly. Mars in Virgo, our war needs rules and structure. And Jupiter in Aries, so we got to fight for our luck and prosperity. And because he's spooky ooky, we're going to look at his Pluto, which is in Taurus. Riches. Oh, thank you. When you shake the astrological concoction to pour into your little martini glass, this Rasputin is a boots-on-the-ground hard worker with a Sagittarian moon that craves power and status. His Mercury in Capricorn means he has a communication style that is direct and boss-like, 
and his Venus in Sagittarius makes him likable, sociable, and paying no mind to being the center of attention. In fact, he very much likes being the center of attention. Mars in Virgo makes him strive for perfection, and it's a little bit high-strung, because I get it, it's hard being perfect all the time. And a Jupiter in Aries means this version of Razzie was self-confident and self-focused. And a Pluto in Taurus means that he knew how to take a situation and turn it profitable. This makes a money, baby. And honestly, I think this kind of sounds like the profile of Rasputin I've always heard about. But of course, we haven't even gotten into our fucking episode yet. This is just like a taste. This is Surface a teaser. Sur- this is the tabloids Rasputin. Exactly. Then we have the January 21st Rasputin, and he's just a tiny bit different. We have a sun in Aquarius, a moon in Taurus, Mercury in Aquarius, and a Venus in Capricorn. His Mars is still in Virgo and Jupiter in Aries, and Pluto in Taurus is staying all the same. This Rasputin is an eccentric who isn't afraid to break the rules with a sensual air of a Taurian moon who still loves being admired in the center of attention. So those very much line up. Aquarius is ruled by Uranus, the planet of individuality and revolution, so his communication style here would be more progressive with having thoughts and ideas way ahead of his time. And with a Venus in Capricorn, he'd follow the rules of love and would be a more trusting partner. And maybe that doesn't mean romantic partner, but maybe partner to the crown. Yeah, and Venus is also like your uh, your values. And what do you value? Material things. Wealth. Money. Yes. Power. He still has that high-strung perfectionism and self-confidence of the Mars and Virgo and Jupiter and Aries. So is he the January 9th boots on the ground who craves power and status or the January 21st wild eccentric who loves being admired? And so this is the battle of Capricorn versus Aquarian. And we're going to talk more about Rasputin and maybe by the end we'll have a better idea of like who he is. I think that you might understand more of the man rather than the image Ah. or the ghost of Rasputin. Ooh, the man. So Razi is born to two peasant farmers in Siberia, the land of polar bears and Russian work camps. (laughs) And now, okay, so Siberia, I didn't know this. Did you know this? Siberia is fucking huge. No, I didn't know that. I knew they had tigers. Yes. That's it. Perfect. So basically, if you look at this map, There's European Russia and Siberia. And Siberia is most of Russia. That's crazy. I thought it was going to be like a tiny little province. No, it's like basically it's most of Kazakhstan over. It's kind of insane. All of Mongolia, all of China, all the way to Alaska. Everything is Siberia. Everything the sun touches is Siberia. (laughs) Exactly. And where Razi was born in Pokrovskoya is really right on the border of the European-Russia line. So when he says, oh, I'm from Siberia, you can imagine tiny town, tiny village. I actually went to like Google Maps and I was like, how many roads? There are nine in total. (laughs) But don't think like all the way to the right of Russia. You're really close to St. Petersburg, Motov Cocktail, all the cities. Okay, so he was like a day trip away. Yeah, honestly. Okay. The problem with being a demonized international political spiritual supervillain to the czar from a small village in Russia where most people at the time had no formal education and were largely illiterate, there is not a lot of records about your early life. So when nothing is true, everything is Ah. true. And the Russian people said yes. As above, so below. There's this long-standing rumor that Rasputin came from a long line of horse thieves and that he actually served time for this, but it's probably false. 
And there's a rumor that he sold his soul to the devil for fame and power. But this is also probably false. I don't know. That one could be real. It depends on whether or not he's an Aquarius. <laughs> but what we do know is that Rasputin, sex god, master of whispers, at the age of 17, got married <gasps> to a charming peasant woman named Paskovia. And they had three children, which was one of our Patreon questions. And at least one of his daughters, Maria, went on to live a very interesting life in the U.S. and had several grandchildren who are still around today. This bitch died in like 1977. Oh, wow. Our dads were like in their early, early teens. Wow. Maybe teen, mid-teens. So yes, there are little Rasputins left in Russia and the U.S. and they are up to stuff. We could just meet a Rasputin. Oh, 100%. And it's like, if she died in 1977, they're probably like our parents' age, so they probably have great-grandchildren that are like our age. So we went to school with them. <laughs> Fucking Carmel High School. Kyle, watch out. <laughs> Here's a little picture of them. His children. Adorable. So Pascovia, his wife, would remain loyal to Gregorio Rasputin all her life, doting on him when he came back to their village, which wasn't all that often because in 1897, Rasputin had a religious epiphany Ooh. that he must go on a pilgrimage. Oh, yes. A magical trip. So he just got bored and was like, <laughs> I'm going to do what the fathers before me do. I'm going to leave. Yeah. Love that. And he goes out for a pack of smokes. <laughs> Not coming back. And this pilgrimage, the Holy Znamensky Monastery, changed his life forever. And I want you to imagine just a normal guy. Like dark hair, maybe like a little plump. He works in the field. So I bet he's got some thick forearms mm -hmm. and a big mouth for kissing. And he goes away on a long spiritual vacation and comes back as Russian Orthodox Rasputin. I don't know what you do as the wife. I love you. Go on your journey. We're 17. Be who you need to be, baby. But just like he comes back and he's, I don't know, Russian Orthodox. That's a big change. It is. Yeah. That's it's like, like extreme. Yes. He's vegetarian. He's sober. He's got this long beard, long hair. He's got insane eyes, forearms, toothpicks. Oh, you, how, are you gonna, weight. how are you going to pick up your giant Russian wife? I don't know. And take her to bed. Not anymore, baby. So then, Rasputin says, My life is on the open road, communing with God and teaching his love to all of Russia. And Paskovia says, Yes, dear, whatever you want, baby. I'm a woman. I don't have rights. I'm busy. I'm just excited you came back. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> I thought I had to raise these kids alone. And she lets this man wander, sometimes for years at a time, all over the Russian countryside. And so for some context, I just want to say, Helena Blavatsky has already created the Theosophical Society and died by this point. Aleister Crowley just bought Bullskin House on Loch Ness, where people think he opened a portal to hell. <laughs> Carl Kellner is in South Asia having an orgy with three spiritual masters that are teaching him the secrets of the Knights Templar so he can go on to create the OTO. So this is a very magical time for everybody. We're all just very into it right now. Yes. Yeah. So for almost 10 years... Rasputin walks around Russia preaching the gospel and preaching right to that pussy, if you know what I mean. And he starts to gain a following. And it starts off small. You know, it's just like a few family members, maybe like some local Petrovskaya folks. And they keep it kind of secret, right? They're like, you know, we've got our own little shack where we do our own little thing. And of course, you know, people were like, they must be eating their own cum. Why would they keep it a secret if it wasn't cum-based rituals? To be fair... That's a good point. Why else would you be Why so else would to you tell keep me? a secret? Yeah. And I mean, he was very charismatic. Like, are you ashamed? Is this shameful behavior? Why else are you not telling me something? But not just any old cum-drizzled 
charismatic dude could have turned an entire country against its monarchy and upended the social structure of a world superpower. It had to be Rasputin because his political ascension was foretold by the Russian royal family's previous spiritual leader, a mysterious Frenchman called Monsieur Philippe. This sounds very Aquarian, not gonna lie. Right? That's what I said. I was very convinced about the Capricorn, and now we are changing my mind. So you see, the Tsar and the Tsarina, sometimes called the Tsarista, <laughs> were having trouble, right? I the Tsarista at the Starbucks? Yes. I'm the Tsarista. <laughs> Would you like oatmeal? Would you like your pumpkin spice latte? They were having trouble conceiving a boy, and therefore an heir, and the Empress Tsarina Alexandra was having a really hard time. She was absolutely a mentally ill woman, like Mary Todd Lincoln style, mentally ill. And she hated Russia. (laughs) Fucking hated every second of it. She was the favorite granddaughter of Queen Victoria, born in Germany, and she was a Lutheran. And you can't really be the Tsarista of Russia and not be Russian Orthodox. Mm. Like, why are you bringing in this weird uh, European uh, religion into our very dirty cold country yes we are an extreme people and we need extreme jesus please please help us on top of all of this alexandra was shy oh she's an introvert and she knows english and german neither of which are spoken in the russian court so altogether she is not happy we are physically socially spiritually suffering here in the most beautiful palace in all of asia so Tsar Nicholas II, the last Tsar of Russia via the Black Princesses, presents his beautiful, tongue-tied, stupid European wife with the mystic Monsieur Philippe. And she is absolutely taken with him and his giant mustache. He promises her a male heir and her belly actually begins to swell mm. with pregnancy. Some like bad crab or something. <laughs> She eats way too many carbs. Like they had bear the night before. They She's just feeling it that day. Bear. They forgot to I take all know. the fur off. <laughs> Ew. Upsets her IBS. He promised her spiritual fulfillment and gifts from God, and she swelled even more. He led seances with her, contacting past loved ones, and he preached. Oh, how he preached. And nine months later, Alicia, no baby, <gasps> no son. What? No heir. Alexandra had been a victim of the rare psychological condition, pseudosiasis, where you believe so strongly that you are pregnant that you actually experience symptoms of pregnancy, no periods, big belly, morning sickness. It's like the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It's so sad. What? What? Bodies are stupid. Bodies? Women's bodies? Very dumb. Against us. They don't make any sense. After this heartbreak, the royal advisors say... Hey, Tsar, maybe a whole French mystic thing isn't a good idea for the emperor of Russia. We think maybe we sent them to Gulag? And Nicholas is like, no Gulag this time. Oh, well, that's J- very considerate. <laughs> He's a modern Tsar. He's a progressive. <laughs> he says, just send him back to France. And while Philippe is packing his bags, literally, he's putting his little trousers his little knickers in there. He says to Alexandra, oh, oui, oui, I am French. I fear not. <laughs> Have this baguette and uh, we shall meet again. The spirit of God will come to you in a different form. And heed his words. And then he vanished. He threw some magic dust down. (laughs) Jumped out the window. Skittered out one of those like little doggy doors. (laughs) You look to the window, there's like a bunch of bed sheets tied together. (laughs) He'd been planning this for hours. 
So Russians, thanks to Helena Blavatsky and the spiritualists of the West, are obsessed with all this spooky ooky stuff. Mystics, magicians, spiritual healers, the whole lot. And they want them at parties and they want them at balls. But most importantly, Alicia, they want to be seen with them. Oh, yes. Especially if they're of the peasant class. Now, Russian aristocracy weirdly fetishize like the whole Russian peasantry. It's like, it's kind of like, oh, this is so cute. It's so You're cute. So with, poor. With you your... can't afford anything for your wife and eight children. Oh, it's so funny. <laughs> Look at your little dirty feet. Fucking psychopaths. It reminded me a little bit of like um, people being like, I'm not racist. Here's my black friend. <laughs> and being like, yes. Proof that I am of the people. Two peasants handcuffed together. <laughs> Eat they the caviar. work for us. We're best friends. <laughs> they don't even want payments. They just don't want it. They love being peasants. It's, it's true. Connecting to nature. Exactly. So Raspian goes from like B.O. ridden, wandering the Russian countryside to St. Petersburg monasteries. And these city monks, they fucking love him. Oh, the glow up. He's loud. He's charismatic. He's funny. Oh, yeah. City monks are not funny. No, they're not. They're very serious. And they start introducing him to like their aristocratic friends who also love this fucking country bumpkin charm and the way that he loves kissing everybody on the mouth. Oh. They literally thought it was some kind of Russian peasant custom. And they were like, yeah, I guess you could put your tongue in me. I don't want to be offensive. (laughs) (laughs) He's like biting their lips. Yes. And they're like, ow, oh, yes, the Russian peasantry class. (laughs) I am of the people. And it's one of these aristocratic events that he meets Tsar Nicholas II. Ooh, meeting the king, the emperor. Rasputin first met the Tsar on November 1st, 1905 at the Peterhof Palace. Nicholas recorded the event in his diary that day, writing that he and Alexandra had made acquaintance of a man of God. Grigory from Tobolsk province. So it's even being like, he's from a peasant province. Look at it. This is my best friend. (laughs) Rasputin returned home shortly after their first meeting and nearly a year passes before Razzie comes back to St. Petersburg. On his return, Rasputin sent Nicholas a telegram asking to present the czar with an icon of Simeon Averkoture. Something like that, you guys. Some stupid Something like that. Some garbage shit he found. Essentially. Simeon is the patron saint of healing, and for some reason, even escaping death for those who are very desperate. This leads me to ask, what was Rasputin doing home? Of course, we don't have any real documents. We have no idea what he was actually doing. Was he fucking his wife? Was he fucking other people's wives? Was he just preaching the gospel and, I don't know, saving chickens because he's vegetarian? I don't know. You know, I don't know. But could he actually have been doing reconnaissance? This is why I'm like, is he a Capricorn? This is very. This okay. is my Capricorn thinking. Here. I'm here for it because there was a great plague over the royal family. Not plague like everything's dying, but you know the anti-imperialist forces are growing, and they're going to kill the whole family Marie Antoinette style in like 10, 15 years later. But that wasn't even it at the time. As Tara had mentioned earlier, the real problem that plagued the royal house was that their only male heir was severely sick. So they finally had one, yes. which is really <laughs> funny because I read that uh, Anastasia was the third one and they were like, mother fuck, another girl. Mm-hmm. How could we be cursed with this many fucking girls? Which is really strange because Russia- Oh no, she was the fourth one actually. She was the fourth one. Like a lot. There's uh, too many, too many girls. It's really strange because Russia has history's greatest 
empress and like conqueress in Catherine the Great. Yep. And like, it makes no sense to me other than like this weird, like Europeanization of Russia that they would be like, no, the boys are the best. Yeah, they're just like, ew, throw it away. Get yeah. her out of here. Oh, she's bleeding. Gross. Yeah, it's like, come on, guys. Like, Anastasia could have ruled the world. You just had to let it happen. But little Alexei Nikolovich was born in a time where science and disease weren't really understood. We're still shitting in buckets, you know? Something like that. Gross. <laughs> I used gags. He was born a happy and healthy baby, and everyone was so excited to have a male heir. Thrilled. He was called like the Zarevich right off the bat they're like he is inheriting the throne baby like this is him he is our savior and you know better him than fucking grand duchess maria or god forbid anastasia can't give that bitch any power but alexi was born with hemophilia which is a genetic trait that's passed down mostly to boys through their mother's x chromosome And it's also known as the royal disease because so many of the intermarried European royal families had it. Because if you keep creating families Game of Thrones style, something is bound to go genetically wrong after a while. And white hair. They're going to want to fuck each other. They're like fucking dragons. It doesn't make any sense, you know? (laughs) For those who don't know, like me, like, you know, I'm amazing, but I don't know everything. Hemophilia is like a blood clotting disease. It impairs the body's ability to make blood clots, which is a process needed to stop bleeding. So you get a paper cut and you bleed for a little bit. But if you have hemophilia, you don't bleed for a little bit. It's like a fucking feast of Dracula over there. Like Nosferatu himself is like going to come and take this because you just served it up on a platter. And the royal family knew this was a problem for Alexi almost immediately. They did their, you know, immediate celebration. We have a male heir. We're so excited. And then when they had to cut off the umbilical cord, Alexi just bled and bled and bled and bled and bled. Watching your, like, child, like, water balloon out. Ugh. Gross. An empty husk. (laughs) It's fucking disgusting. The royal family tried very hard to keep Alexi's condition, like, hush-hush. Because they have an heir. This is so exciting. No one can know, like, he's sick, you know? They didn't tell other royals or nobles people about it. But, you know, if you've seen any show with royals or even fucking Downton Abbey, you know that gossip spreads like wildfire. And it took one staff member to say one thing to the guy delivering the morning's eggs and the gossip about something being wrong with the future czar spread far and wide. It's like gone, you know? You can't even control the rumor anymore. Mm -hmm. Now it's not that just he's a hemophiliac. He's got AIDS. (laughs) Okay, guys, he doesn't have AIDS. We don't, we don't know if he has AIDS. He's unconfirmed. a baby. Unconfirmed <laughs> He's a baby. AIDS. They didn't know exactly what was wrong with Alexi, but it's pretty troubling to hear that the imperial dynasty we pay so many taxes to is on the brink of losing its male heir. Like, ugh, doesn't sound good for us, you know? So let's go back to Rasputin. He sent that memo to Tsar Nicholas about wanting to give him an icon of Simeon, the patron saint of healing. Huh. Hmm. How convenient. Interesting. You know? It's like a very well-planned little move. Because they're already kind of obsessed with their poor friends and their mystic friends. And he is a poor mystic friend who already just happens to know that maybe they could use some healing. Hmm. Hmm. Very Capricorn. (laughs) We are working overtime over here, honestly. We are scheming. Mm Mm-hmm. He then met with Nicholas and Alexandra on July 18th, 1906, and then again in October when he first met their children. 
And at some point, the royal family became convinced that Rasputin possessed the miraculous power to heal Alexei. But historians like disagree kind of over when. Some believe that Rasputin was first introduced to the Tsar and Tsarina as a healer who could help their son in November of 1905, while others speculated that it was in October of 1906 that Rasputin was first asked to pray for the health of Alexei. Either way, Rasputin knew, and he was tasked to help the poor little bleeding kid. And then in the spring of 1907, Alexei got an internal hemorrhage that fucking laid him out. Alexandra pleaded with Rasputin to try healing the boy, and Rasputin gave it a shot, you know? Just a bunch of prayers. Nothing too crazy, just like, Yes, maybe some hands like hovering. Have you ever seen um some jazz fingers, you know? Oh, it's just some jazz. He's tickling them. It's just one nice Swedish massage. Have you ever watched The Kingsman? No. So they have, I think it's either the second or the third Kingsman where Rasputin is in it. And the way that he heals him is he goes, And like watching this man get like his whole hand and mouth like onto this job, it's like fucking horrifying. That is so wild and but crazy. The, the next morning, Alexei felt better. This led Alexandra and her BFF, Anna Virubova, Anna's gonna come back, Anna's big, to become the biggest fucking fans of Rasputin. 100% viable. He can do it. He is a miracle magic man. He's going to save Russia. And you know what's more powerful than one crazy fanatic woman? Her and her best friend. (laughs) That's it. That's all you need to like tear anything down. Alexandra was convinced it was absolutely essential to keep Rasputin around. He just saved Alexei. He could do it again. And that's how Rasputin was able to really get into the favor. And he did do it again. During the summer of 1912, Alexei developed a hemorrhage in his thigh and groin after a jolting carriage ride, which caused like a hematoma. And then for us non-doctors, you know, you, me, everyone else, a hematoma is a bruise, but like a really, really bad one. And it just keeps getting bigger and it can make your blood pressure drop. And what happens when your blood pressure drops enough? You're dead. (gasps) Oh, God. It's not good. It's not good. Gross. So, and also like, you know... He's still like a kid and he has this big bruise on his thigh and his groin and it's just getting bigger and it's not healing like, fuck, dude, that's going to hurt a lot. Mm -hmm. Alexei was in severe pain and he was delirious with fever. And honestly, he looked like he was going to die. He was on the brink of death. At this point, Rasputin was in Siberia. He wasn't even around. He was like doing his traveling thing, like fucking the broads, uh, not saying hello to his children, you know, like that sort of thing. And Alexandra told BFF Anna to send him a telegram begging him to pray for Alexei. This was some like SOS level shit. Rasputin wasn't going to make it back to the royal castle in time from Siberia. You know, that country is huge. We've already talked about that. He could be anywhere. He could be anywhere. But, you know, they knew where he was. They knew how to get in contact with him. Rasputin quickly sent a telegram back saying, God has seen your tears and heard your prayers. Do not grieve. The little one will not die. Do not allow the doctors to bother him too much. So Alexandra relayed the message to the doctors, and the next day, Alexei's condition was unchanged. But Alexandra, for once, had hope. She was over here thinking, like, her son was going to die. Her only male heir was going to die. But the day after that, Alexei's bleeding stopped, and then he just got better. I know, your eyes are wide. This is crazy. I, (laughs) what are your thoughts? But how? We're going to get into that. We're going to get into that. But first, 
the doctors, of course, of the royal family didn't trust Rasputin. They didn't trust anything about this. But at this point, they're like, Alexandra's got a fucking point. Yeah, I mean, the data shows. He got better. We thought he was going to die. But also, question. Yes. Most of medicine was bloodletting and leeches, Mm -hmm. which is probably not the best for hemophiliacs. Probably not. So I just, Mm -hmm. I'm like, what were they doing to this poor little kid? Mm -hmm. And I think you kind of hit the speculative answer of this. You're the genius, Tara. I am the doctor. I am the doctor. So did Rasputin save Alexi? And so if we're just like going from the woo-woo stance, like, yeah, he went and prayed (laughs) over him and then he was cured. Yeah, of course. But historians have thought a little bit more about like the actual scenario and how it might have like developed throughout Alexi's whole life, entire life, literally moments after his birth when they did the umbilical cord and realized he had this problem. He had people worrying and fussing over him and no one's ever going to be like, go play in your room, Alexi. They are constantly watching and monitoring him. And that must be really stressful for a little kid to know you're the source of so many people's anxieties without having the vocabulary to articulate that. Possibly Rasputin's telegram of leave the child the fuck alone is what saved Alexi. Instead of people coming in and out, poking and prodding Alexi, moving him around, his mother crying tears in the fucking corner, Alexi was just left to lie in the bed by himself in a quiet room. And Alexi was able to heal his own body on its own terms, and his constantly freaked out mother, the queen, left him alone, and then changed her attitude from, he's going to die, my only child's going to die, to, you're going to be okay, Alexi. Like, complete emotional shift. That makes so much sense. And that would ease Alexi's emotional distress in that moment. Like, you're already, your body's doing enough, you're in physical pain, and now you have all these people around you who are so concerned about your well-being, and you're not getting better, and that's only stressing you out even more. So in this case, Rasputin saved Alexi. Was he magical? Maybe. Maybe not. But he at least had the common sense and understood mindfulness and peace when the other doctors didn't. And he was like, you know, get those leeches the fuck out of there. Stop touching the child. Leave him alone. Just leave him alone. You're stressing him out. Exactly. So now Rasputin is the Alexandra appointed miracle man. And like the gossip of Alexei's unknown disease, the gossip about Rasputin's reputation spreads like wildfire. God bless. Yes, this is what I'm here for. Some people are obsessed with him and believe in his magical abilities. Following Rasputin becomes even more of a hip thing to do. Like, it's the cool thing. It's in, you know? But others are like, what the fuck is up with this freak and his freaky deaky followers? You know? So you get the classic tug of war. The divisive figure of Rasputin and those who adore him and those who hate him and think he might be the devil. And it didn't help that Rasputin was very in with Tsar Nicholas. Like, so far in the Tsar's favor, that he gained political power and even changed his name to Rasputin Novi, which means Rasputin New. Kind of like Rasputin Reborn. Mm -hmm. Rasputin New. So it's like this whole, like, the priest changing into, like, a very, like, cult leader changing into, like, their new form. Yeah, and it's always like, you get a new name. Call me father. Their divine form. Yes. Yes. With the Tsar's protection behind him, And now, you know, Rasputin has power. He could accept bribes and sexual favors. And he was often traveling to different sites to enlist more people to follow him. So followers he gained, and he gained more enemies also. But you know who did adore him? Like, genuinely adored him. 
the imperial children. Oh, really? Alexei and Grand Duchesses Maria, Tatiana, Olga, and Anastasia. They would call Rasputin our friend. Like capital O, capital F, our friend. And Maria and Tatiana would send telegrams to him whenever he was away. And he would often send them telegrams back. So one telegram from Maria when she was nine years old said, or to Maria when she was nine years old said, Tell me how you talked with the sea, with nature. I miss your simple soul. We will see each other soon. A big kiss. Just like very cute. Aww. It's very charming, you know? Like, a, like, you know, a seemingly older relative talking to a child who just looks up to them. I worry about that big kiss. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> you can worry. However, there was no evidence, actually, that anything malicious or predatory actually occurred between the children and Rasputin, which that's good. Okay, okay. I feel better about the big kiss. There you go. However, that doesn't mean nothing occurred or that people didn't think his intentions with the kids were completely genuine. There was an incident in 1910 where one of the Grand Duchess's governesses, a woman by the name of Sofia Ivanova Tiucheva. Love it. it I know. It was just so big. She was absolutely appalled that Rasputin was allowed to see the girls when they were in their nightgowns. <gasps> Uncomely of a duchess. There you go. She made such a huge stink about the whole situation, saying it was not appropriate for Rasputin to be in the nursery at this time. When they look like that? That's crazy. No shoes? No shoes? Those are baby feet. Uh, the most sexual part of, of the, the body. <laughs> Nicholas and Alexandra didn't want any rumors about Rasputin to begin circling, so they asked him to stop visiting the nursery. But the children would just wise up and just not talk about Rasputin in front of Sophia. Like, they actually really enjoyed their relationship with him. So they just wouldn't mention it to the governess. So kind of like sneaking off around her back, still hanging out and playing with their best friend Rasputin, but not telling Sophia. So later it was just easier for the governess to be fired because she's the one causing the drama. But if you've ever met a woman named Sophia, she was out for vengeance. (laughs) And they all are. Them Sophias. (laughs) Them Sophias are vicious. She still took that gossip out far and wide. She spread the gossip to other members of the royal family who were very appalled by this behavior. From these rumors, the idea of Rasputin's sexual prowess over the Grand Duchesses and Alexandra became a favored rumor among Russia. It didn't help that Rasputin had released letters written to him by the Tsarina and the four Grand Duchesses. The letters circulated throughout society, fueling the rumors. Couldn't find any, but I'm sure it's just like, it may be just flirty or just nice things to say. Mm-hmm. But of course, they're like, oh, Rasputin's far up the Alexandra's pussy. It's not even funny. Shit like that, you know? And then people even began drawing pornographic cartoons that circulated around depicting Rasputin having sexual relations with the Empress, with her four daughters, and even, you know, best friend Anna being nude in the background. She's just back there. She's, She's just watching. part of it. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I'm a part of it too. I'm almost royal. My best friend is royal. I found one cartoon where Rasputin is drawn holding the breast of Empress Alexandra, as in a way to speak about his hold over the entire Russian royal family. Sexual. That is an unflattering image of them both. Yes, definitely meant to be so. In 1909, Kehionia Berlatskaya, who had been one of Rasputin's early supporters in St. Petersburg, accused him of rape. Rumors multiplied that Rasputin had assaulted his female followers and behaved inappropriately on his visits to the royal family. And, you know, at this point, particularly with the Tsar's teenage daughters, Olga and Tatiana. 
So they just, these rumors went far and wide, baby. And of course, these rumors got back to the royal family. And Nicholas ordered Rasputin to leave St. Petersburg just for a time, you know, to quell the rumors, let it get over with, just get some distance from him. But the rumors kept growing. He was accused by his enemies of religious heresy and rape and even of having an affair with Alexandra. And, you know, him being forced to leave St. Petersburg for a time doesn't stop the rumors. And in fact, you're kind of being like, did this happen? That's suspicious. That's suspicious. You're acting pretty guilty. That's weird. Why would someone get punished and have to leave if they were innocent? Yeah. Ooh. Oh, so who knows? And, you know, any good PR person knows you can't do that. So you got to act like nothing's wrong. Mm-hmm. Go in with confidence. So the people, they don't really like Rasputin. They also don't like the emperor and empress, but they especially don't like Rasputin. They don't like anybody. They nobody, don't like anyone. Nobody likes anybody. It's very Russian. They were born not wanting to like anyone. So, Rasputin, he's away. He's gone. He's he's left. He's left. But that doesn't mean that his hold over the royal family is not apparent, not only in St. Petersburg, but also in the minds of all Russians. Because they've seen all these pornographic cartoons. They have seen a lot of, yeah. (laughs) It's also, I mean, I'm a little suspicious, like, Alexandra... Like, she's very susceptible. The whole royal family is very susceptible. Mm -hmm. And so it would not surprise me if there had been some unflattering spiritual happenings, perhaps. Escapades. Rasputin was very well known for being sexually advantageous. Mm -hmm. Often saying things were spiritual when they clearly were not, like bathing with women that did not want to bathe with him, being touched. Mm. or touching women that didn't want to be touched. And the Russian aristocracy sort of did that thing where they were like, oh, this man is touching me. I'm just going to walk away and pretend that it's not happening instead of kind of addressing it, addressing the Mm -hmm. problem. And that really led to Rasputin feeling like he had a lot of power. Yeah. And so when people say that Rasputin was like sexually kind of taking advantage of the royal court, it's it's probably true. He just went down and grabbed each guy by the dick one by one. Yes, 100%. In the name of the Lord. In the, it's, Amen. Yes. So World War I, not good for anybody. Bad time. Trenches, gangrene, chemical weapons, trauma. And all of World War I, the people of Russia are on the one hand feeling like there's a Jewish cabal running everything because they are deeply anti-Semitic. <laughs> and on the other, feeling like their monarchy is weak mm. and therefore susceptible to this Jewish cabal. The Empress Alexandra agrees with them. Remember, she fucking hates Russia so much. She just doesn't want to be here. She doesn't want to be here. She was like, I made a stupid decision. She she was like, I'm going to be like Catherine the Great and then this did not go as planned. No, it's cold. Not at all. I am not getting as many nice hairdos as she did. Not at all. Mm-mm. But she thinks that the Russian monarchy is weak because of her husband, St. Nicholas II. Because he is weak. Damn, get him. He's not hard enough on Russian peasants and the aristocrats. And the, they love the peasants. <laughs> he's That's very, why. He's very pro-peasant. <laughs> and the Russian politicians think that the monarchy is weak because the monarchy is disregarding all of their advisors in favor of listening to this creepy, rapey monk, Rasputin. And the Russian peasants are mad because they are so hungry. <laughs> I just want to feed my family. All I have is potatoes. 
The first public attempt on Rasputin's life comes from 33-year-old peasant woman named Chiona Guseva, who stabbed him in the stomach in 1914 when he comes out of his village home in Pokroskoye because she thought that he was the Antichrist. And he survived. Damn. That's pretty crazy. Also, can you imagine? That's just like a few years away from us. Yeah. We're 33 and suddenly committing murders. And we're like, yeah. And very personal murders. This is not a poisoning. This is not like 10 feet away. I'm shooting you with a gun. This is like, I have to feel your hot blood on my thumb. Yeah. When I stab you. Outside your home, even. Good for her. (laughs) You know, go big or go home. She really went big. She's like, my weak, hungry hands are not able to choke the life out of this man. But this knife could. The second attempt on his life was in early 1916 when he was sent a poison bottle of Moderna wine, his favorite, in the mail by politicians in the czar's inner circle. Again, he survived. And the czar's inner circle expelled. Did he drink it? He drank the whole thing. There's got to be something up with that then. He's a spooky man. He is a spooky man. At this point, Rasputin, he's trying to play it cool, but he knows that the end is coming. And people are being gulagged left and right. The peasants are getting uppity. And he writes the Tsarina and his daughter Maria, who we mentioned before, two letters in December of 1916. The letter to the Tsarina predicted that he would die before the end of the year. If he was killed by his fellow Russian peasant, the Tsar will have nothing to fear and the monarchy will rule for centuries to come. But if he was killed by the nobles then Russia would descend into bloodshed and brother will kill brother for 25 years. (gasps) Furthermore, should the bells toll his death, come with the news that the Tsar's relatives killed Rasputin, then everyone in Nicholas's family will be dead within two years. Oh no. And the Russian royal family would be assassinated in July of 1918. Oh my gosh. And he's telling this to Alexandra, who's already ready to leave. She, I gotta get out of here, get my son. She's literally packing. She's packing her son in a bag, throwing him in the chariot. He's got bruises. No. (laughs) The letter to his daughter Maria reads, My dear, a disaster is threatening us. A great misfortune is drawing near. The face of Our Lady has darkened and the spirit is disturbed in the calm of the night. This calm will not last. Terrible will be the wrath, and whither shall we flee? It is written, watch, for ye know neither the day nor the hour. This day has come for our country. There will be cries and blood. In the great darkness of these griefs, I can distinguish nothing. My hour will soon strike. I am not afraid, but I know it will be bitter. I shall suffer, and it will be pardoned to men. Many martyrs will die. The earth will tremble. Famine and pestilence will reign. Signs will appear to men. Pray. For your salvation, which is an extreme thing to send to your daughter. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is like, get your visa and get out of here, girl. Yes. I would be like, I'm going to hold that up, put that away, <laughs> and I'm going to go on holiday. Bye. See ya. So this is Rasputin's last day. <gasps> Did he get a Starbucks? He woke up, birds chirping, sun shining. Probably not. It's probably cloudy. It's Russia. It's December. Yeah. 1916. <laughs> There's snow. It's cold. There is snow, confirmed. Ah. It's a Saturday. So Rasputin wakes up. He takes a phone call from an unknown voice who threatens to kill him. A great, good way to start the morning. He walks downstairs. He's in his robe. He looks at his mail where he has received several anonymous death threats. Just a normal Saturday. Yeah, I mean, he's probably used to this by now. He's going to watch the ball game. I'm sure this is amped up for him. (laughs) And he's just like, okay, 
Cool. Allegedly, Rasputin has a pretty normal day at home receiving visitors every few hours. He sees a lot of people. He's a busy man. Mm -hmm. People need to be blessed. Now this 47-year-old Russian monk puts his daughters to bed at 11 p.m. And they're like, Papa, one, why have you waited so long to put us to bed? It is 11 p.m. We have to go to church tomorrow. Yeah. And two, why do you have your shoes and coat on? And he says, my dears, my beautiful children, I've got to go meet my friend, Prince Felix Yusupov. And then he kisses them goodnight. On the lips. Of course. With tongue. Gross. Maybe. He smells like wine. Better than how he used to smell. Cut to Yusupov's apartment, where he is putting the finishing touches on his murder basement. (laughs) The book I read described it in detail with ancient lanterns, a granite hearth with a big cozy fire, fancy curtains, and lots of cakes because Rasputin historically had a big sweet tooth. Okay, I can get behind that. Yusupov isn't alone. He's there with Grand Duke Dmitry Pavlovich and right-wing politician Vladimir Pereskovich. Vlad is over there. He's making the cupcakes all nice and pouring gorgeous glasses full of Madeira, Rasputin's favorite, and he's covering them all in cyanide. Mm, a little bit of poison. A little salting over here, a little salting over there. They literally said they cut cupcakes in half, pulled the tops off, poured the cyanide into it, put the cupcakes back on, covered it in frosting. It's pretty smart. So that he wouldn't be able to taste it on top. But I don't know. The best part of the cupcakes kind of like the icing and the top. Right, exactly. So maybe he won't even reach the bottom, the middle, you know? <laughs> it's like you only eat the tops off the broccoli. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's... The heads off the animal crackers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> now upstairs in the drawing room, they've set up a gramophone to start playing party music. And they're thinking, if Rasputin comes here and thinks there's some kind of party happening, he's less likely to think that he's going to be murdered because there's people around. That's fair. Now, cut back to Rasputin's apartment. It is now 1 a.m. and Rasputin has been sitting in his shoes and his coat for two hours waiting to get picked up by his date, Yuskopov. He should have just left. He should have gone home. Well, he's at home. And he's sitting there waiting. I would be like, okay, we're not doing this tonight. I'm tired. We're going to bed. Yeah. And finally, there's a knock at the back of the door. And Yusupov says, are you ready? Let's go back to my place. Let's have some tea. Let's relax. Mm, Okay. When they arrive, Yuskopov says... In his autobiography, that Yankee Doodle Dandy is playing over the gramophone in the other room. What? And Rasputin hears voices and he says, oh, what's going on? And Yusupov tells him that his wife is having a party, but they'll all be leaving soon. My silly wife, you don't want to talk to her. They love Yankee Doodle Dandy. (laughs) It's just on repeat. It's very ominous. (laughs) They have a, in Russia, not a lot of records. No, just the one. They sit down in the murder basement and start drinking tea and talk. And they get all comfy and Yusupov offers Rasputin all these tiny cakes and Rasputin eats each and every one of them. He's like, I'm fucking starving. It's 2 (laughs) a.m. I've been waiting for you. And this motherfucker doesn't even blink. Good. Delicious. Love the taste of almonds. Rasputin then asks for some Madeira to wash down the sweet cakes, which is also laced with poison. Remember, And just with the cakes, Rasputin doesn't collapse even after three glasses. Oh my gosh. Rasputin asks Yusupov to sing him a song on his guitar. And Yusupov does very nervously because he's like, this man should be dead and he's not dead. And I've given him so much poison and I put together this nice murder basement and it's not happening. And this whole charade goes on for two hours. It is now three in the morning. And Rasputin's like, why am I here? (laughs) 
Exactly. I thought we were going to fuck. <laughs> Yusupov's like, I need to go check on my wife's friends. And he goes up to his friends, listening to Yankee Doodle Dandy. And he says, this motherfucker will not die. And they're like, here's a gun. Go finish the job. And he's like, okay. <laughs> Rasputin drinks another glass of poison Madeira and is like, uh, Yusupov, let's go get some ass. And Yusupov says, here's a better idea. Why don't you pray for forgiveness? And he whips out the gun and shoots Rasputin in the chest. Pop, pop. And Rasputin screams and collapses on the bearskin rug. Also, there's a bearskin rug. Oh, and he that's goes, very oh. luxurious. Okay. The accomplices run downstairs. They hear the gunshot. They're like, yes, we did it. And they declare him dead, turn off the lights, walk upstairs. They're like, business done. They're like shaking each other's hands. They're like, we're going to save Russia. We're the best. One of the accomplices takes Rasputin's coat and cap and walks back to Rasputin's apartment to make it seem like he returned home. So alibi. Boom. Okay. And Yusupov and the accomplices are drinking and congratulating each other upstairs. And Yusupov's like, I'm going to go get a better look at my handiwork. To mount him on the wall. (laughs) Turn him into a skin rug. Yeah. He goes down there and he gets a funny feeling. Oh, no. He walks over and he checks Rasputin's pulse. Nothing. Checks his breath. Nothing. And while he's looking at Rasputin's face, Rasputin's eyes open. <gasps> Pop! Rasputin leaves up. Oh my God. I would scream. <laughs> I'm sure Yusupov did. <laughs> he's foaming at the mouth and rushes at Yusupov to strangle him. Damn, he should have fucking killed him. That would have been so sick. <laughs> yeah. And then and then Rasputin becomes our whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Yusupov wriggles free and runs back upstairs screaming for help. And Rasputin is right behind him, crawling on hands and knees. Ooh, scary. And roaring, covered in blood. Rasputin looks at the murderers and fucking skitters outside in the 4 a.m. dark Russian winter night. With the snow. With the snow. And the murderers are like, Jesus fucking Christ, we gotta go get this guy. They follow him out. And shoot at him as he's running on all fours <gasps> in the snow. Dude, that's fucking cool. It's terrifying. This is the devil incarnate. Yeah. So he gets shot twice in the back and falls into a snowbank. And then they stab the shit out of him. Because they're like, Jesus fucking Christ, why won't you die? Just stay down. The streets are empty. Yusupov asks his servants, which now we're implicating the poor in it this was, murder. It's about time. They carry Rasputin's body inside, wrap it in linen, and throw it in the back of Yusupov's truck. Now, Dmitri and Vlad get into Yusupov's car. Apparently, Yusupov passes out before he could get in the car. <laughs> and they drive to Petrovsky Bridge. It's 3 a.m. Nobody's around. Dead silence, like that snowy winter Ooh, night silence. Yeah, that's spooky. And they toss Rasputin's body over the ledge into the river and ditch. Wow. Rasputin's body wasn't found for almost an entire month. And the autopsy reported there is no water in his lungs. So when he was thrown into the river, he was super dead. Okay. And there were rumors that his penis was missing. But the autopsy report mentioned that his godforsaken, huge-ass hog was totally intact. God bless. But they also said that there was no poison in his body. What? So there is a theory. Mm Mm-hmm. From Rasputin's journals, that Rasputin constantly took small doses of poison with every meal to build up a tolerance that his body 
could tolerate so much poison that it wasn't even recognizable. It was like eating too much uh, hot sauce. Dude, how do we do that? Well, first we got to get some cyanide. That can't be that hard. I mean, people use it in stuff, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. And then we just like little quarter teaspoons. No, that's too much. That would kill us. Wait, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, I don't know. Because people take cyanide tablets that are smaller than a tooth. Because they like pop out their fake tooth. And I don't know. I've seen, I'm sure I've seen that in Indiana Jones. But like. Dude, that's crazy. So that's Rasputin. How are you? I'm obsessed. I think this is great. Yeah. But I don't know. Aquarius or Capricorn? That is the question of the podcast. A Capricorn son doesn't seem to me to be the kind of person that would leave themselves open via all of these scandals and sexual escapades. Mm -hmm. Like they seem so much more calculated than that. And I don't want to say Aquariuses are dumb, but they can be taken on flights of fancy. They can be whisked away. They can have visions. They can have visions. Mm -hmm. What do you think? I'm feeling more Aquarian. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling like maybe that's it. Mm -hmm. Maybe when we switched calendars, like that was actually true and we jumped up. But dude, what a wild ride. I'm sure we just like, this is just like a drop in the bucket. Of his whole story. 100%. I mean, there were 33 hours on that audiobook. That's too long. That's way too long. It's mostly letters. Oh, well, yeah. But that's great insight. Letters are. That's insane. Speaking of insane. Me. Yes. Me, 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 me. Which is in the news. Oh, dang. It's not about you at all, though. I mean, honestly, the way Witches in the News has been going, I am thankful. Yeah, you don't need that energy in your life. Our first story is, The man who wanted witches to hex him. Okay. The man with the death wish. TikToker Ethan Kaiser was seen begging online to be cursed by witches, all in an effort to debunk their so-called powers. So he's a hater. We're we're dealing with a hater. Boo. One witch apparently responded, requesting that Kaiser send her a photo of himself, a shirt, and samples of his hair and nails. Hopefully she's like framing his murder or something. (laughs) She's planting... Oh my God. Despite the witch saying the hex would take three days to three weeks later, at the two week mark, Kaiser claimed nothing had happened to him, you know, yet. And at this point, he and commenters were saying witchcraft was fake and, you know, making fun of witches and their very silly little superstitions. But funny enough, at the three week mark, commenters became very concerned that Kaiser had gone too far with his jest, noting that he hadn't been online in like a week since his latest clip. But I'm here to report he is now back on TikTok and I honestly wouldn't be concerned about him. Like he seems like a guy where even if something bad had happened, he wouldn't actually admit it. Yeah, 100%. So it's just like, what's the point, you know? And what do we do when someone tries to yuck your yum? Oh, we block them. Bye, snip, snip. We set boundaries. Oh, we uh, run away. (laughs) Like that's what we do. So his Little publicity stunt wasn't worth it. He was posting videos about, like, creating an AI algorithm that runs through dating apps and spits out James Bond and Patrick Bateman lines to women through the app. So, you know, those are, like, two of the most misogynistic characters in film. Like, this guy isn't worth anyone's time. This guy's a fucking weirdo. Also, this guy can't remember quotes from movies. He was trying to date, like, the most people or something. So that's why he made this whole, like, AI app and, like, filtered through a bunch of different, I don't know. Boring. Boring. So, oh, fuck this guy. Who cares? 
You know, what a great way to end a witches in the news article. Like you don't need to people like him in your life. You don't need to engage with people like him. And I know what our baby witches understand. That's what we get. That to be your best self, you just need to filter out the bullshit. And that's what this witches in the news article is about for you today. You don't have time for this. You don't have time for that. Don't engage with haters. Fuck the bullshit. Boom. Boom. News article number one. News article number two. Tragic. Witch hunt in ranchy India. No. In late August, three women were killed after local villagers accused them of being witches. According to the information, Lalit, the son of one of the women killed, suspected that his mother and two other women of the village were biting the youth of the village as snakes and causing the children to be cursed, which this whole idea is very wild. So you just have like three biddies running around biting people and that's what... What? What? This is very much like, she turned into a cat and whipped me with her tail. <laughs> kind of, Yeah. And that's why they decided they wanted to kill the women. Weird, you know? Jesus fucking Christ. Surendra, who was a nephew to one of the women, tried to convince the villagers not to harm the women. But, you know, they didn't listen to him. Like, spoiler alert, they were killed, unfortunately. Surendra then immediately informed the police, though. You know, the women were murdered, which is really awful. But the police arrested 15 people in association with these murders, which I think that's great. But that's also like, what a scary mob mentality kind of thing. Yeah, what are you going to do? You yeah. three little women against three little women and your like nephew against like one of these women's sons. You know, it's just ugh, it's just very sad. So just as a reminder, like witch hunts actually do happen. And they're normally against poor defenseless biddies or old people or people with disabilities and people you don't like. Socially undesirable people. And that exactly. sucks. And it's awful. very awful. But it's still happening. Even now, it was happening when we started this podcast and it's still happening. And I think it's just a good reminder for people to have that not everything like witch hunts are not done and that there are still these atrocities happening. And that's why I'll come and I'll pepper one in as our little meat to the burger in the witches in the news. <laughs> but it's good for us to not forget, you guys, to constantly be aware and be able to advocate for other people who they can't. So anyways, our third. This is better. We're on the up, remember? I've been deep down in the pits, Alicia. <laughs> Please help. We have the largest gathering of witches world record, baby. I love a record. Britain proudly held the record of 482 witches in one area at one time until 2012, when 1,607 witches descended upon the town of Sort in Spain. But a small army of attendees changed that in Lancashire on Saturday, September 17th. So we in the UK, and we're witchy, and we're all coming together, and we're breaking world records. You're not going to take this from us. 1,882 witches were counted at the Pendleside Hospice Witch Festival, breaking the Spaniards' gathering and reclaiming the UK as the hotspot for the largest gathering of witches on record. The group gathered near the scene of one of the UK's most notorious witch trials, Pendle Hill. Ten people were sentenced to death on the hilltop in 1612. And many of the accused came from two rival families, the Demdike family and the Chaddix family. Both were headed by two elderly widows who had fallen into severe poverty and lived in the Pendle Forest. Historians believe the two matriarchs were in constant battle with each other, which led to accusations of witchcraft between both families. Accusations such as 
causing rival family members strokes or having their blood suckled by the devil or even murder. (laughs) Now, on that space that was the forefront of that witch hunt, thousands of dollars were raised for the Pendleside Hospice. So, you know, we're taking something bad and we're making it something good. We're going to help our old and our sick. Exactly. To break the world record for largest gathering of witches, each person needed to abide by a strict dress code. You got to wear a black cloak. You got to have a pointy black hat. And baby, you got to have a broomstick. (laughs) That's how you know. That's how you know. And so there were even people there, like the workers and whatnot, who were working the event. And if you didn't come prepared, they were like, here is your cloak. Here is your broomstick. You got to hold this for us to count you. (laughs) And which I got to say, I love this story. Like they raised money and broke a world record and got to dress up like a witch. Like we should do that. It sounds fucking fantastic. That sounds like so much fun. And more importantly, they had fun. And they had a great time. (laughs) And that is Witches in the News. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Mama. Last segment, baby. It's time. We're doing our fingers, spear fingers, witchy fingers. Were you ever the kid like to put your little, uh, those plastic witch fingers on your fingers? Are you talking about bugles? What are you talking about? Bugles, but actual plastic where they're like green and have little red nails on them. Oh yeah, those guys. I found one of those the (gasps) other day. On the street. And you took it? You were like, I am going to put this (gasps) on my altar. (laughs) You shouldn't have. This is perfect for my ring finger. New York City serves those who serve themselves. (laughs) Okay, we're moving into our spell. So this is a protection spell using a poppet from Errol Murphy Hiscock's book, Protection Spells. Love that. So I'm going to read verbatim because I really love what they wrote. Just for those that don't know, poppet is a small doll or figure of a human used as a focus for magic. And in this spell, it's meant to represent your physical body and serves as the focus for your energy. So this is just like, You don't need to worry about anything else. You're just worrying about this beautiful little American girl doll that you are going to make. Love that. We're going to have tea together. (laughs) We're going to have a good time. (laughs) In the past, poppets were carved from wood, sewn from scraps of material, or even made of roots or rope twisted together. Now, this spell uses felt. So if you're uncomfortable with wool, you can use something else. You can use a color of your choice, but choose either your favorite color or a color associated with protection. So don't be using your least favorite color. Mm-hmm. Or you want to be using red, black, blue, something that's like known to harness powerful protective energy. Love that. More protection, the better. Here's a pro tip. If you have a gingerbread man cookie cutter, you can use that as a template for the shape because you don't want to get too detailed. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, freehand a simple human shape. So this is what you're going to need. Two squares of felt or any fabric, roughly six inches by six inches. Sharpie marker, you're going to use to draw out your pattern. Straight pins, scissors, needle and thread. Yarn or scraps of clothing, this is going to be to decorate. Like if you have brown hair, blonde hair, green hair, purple hair. Love it. Get yarn. Whatever you want. Six to 12 cotton balls, a penny or other coin from your birth year. Oh, that takes a little bit of research. You're going to need some time. A little scavenging. A pinch of salt. A pinch of rosemary, a pinch of rue, red jasper, and then you can also use like a little bit of your hair or toenails or fingernail clippings. Fun. Okay. So this is what you're going to do. Stack the two pieces of fabric on top of one another and draw the outline of a human shape with Sharpie. Easy. Pin that shit together and cut out the shape. Okay. Don't make it too skinny because you're going to have to tuck that cotton into those little uh, arms and legs. Make her thick, baby. 
Stitch the two pieces together around the edges, leaving the head open. Use the Sharpie to draw features and physical characteristics on the shape if you have like a scar or a birthmark or giant beautiful golden glasses <laughs> like moi or like you wear a piece of jewelry all the time. Draw it like, you know, if you have gorgeous yeah. eyebrows, draw gorgeous eyebrows. It's you. Now you're going to start stuffing your poppet from the feet up. So stab, stab, stab. You're mm-hmm. going to put the cotton balls inside and you can maybe use like a little chopstick or a pen, stab it into the feet, mm-hmm. stab it into the tummy, stab it into the arms. But before you close it up, take the rosemary, the rue, the red jasper, the salt, and the coin and put it in with the remaining cotton balls. Pin the head shut and stitch it closed. Now, you have a beautiful doll that looks just like you. Mm-hmm. Center and ground, hold the poppet in your hands and draw energy up to the ground, filling your core. Let your energy trickle down your arms into the poppet within your hands and say this, this poppet is me as it is kept safe, so am I kept safe. And bitch, you better put that in a safe spot. Love that. And that's it, baby. I love that. I'm glad you love it. It's for you. Oh, thank you. Because we got to keep you safe and warm and happy. Amazing. Oh, what a good episode. This what a was great. such like information-filled episode. I had so much fun. I feel educated. Yeah, this was a great time. And we would like to thank our producer, Marcel Perez, our creative director, Mallory Porter, our resident intern and researcher, Brian Rainey, and Kevin McLeod for our music and our intro and outro that we use each week. I'd also really like to thank anyone who's left an Apple podcast or Spotify review. Remember, you can review things on Spotify now. It is the future. Head over to wherever you listen to podcasts. Give us five stars. Write something. It literally costs you nothing and it means everything to us. We don't advertise anywhere and this is the only way people find us. And if you want to find me, Alicia, I'm on Instagram at Alicia period herder. And if you want to find Tara, that's me. I'm on Instagram at her lovely face. That's my art Instagram. Or if you want to see pictures of my beautiful engagement ring, you can go to <laughs> underscore little moss. And then we're on Instagram at which yes, share an episode in your stories, tag us and we'll feature you on our stories. You can also join our discord server in the link below in our show notes. And if you don't like any of the socials, you can always email us at witchyespodcast at gmail.com. And if baby witch, you are hungry, you are starving for more senseless bullshit. Well, I have to tell you that we have a Patreon. $5 Patreon, which is and above, are getting two extra episodes a month, which makes this a weekly podcast. $10 and above get access to our close friends list and more. They get to ask us questions. They get early access to merch. They just have a special place in my heart. So check it out. $5. Come on. It's not that much. I love it. Yeah. Come join us on Patreon. It's so much fun. And this has been Witch Yes. Happy Halloween season. Spooky, spooky. spooky.